It's trust, fundamentally. And, in, and trust comes from effective engagement, right? That comes from sometimes, you know what, you have, to, you have to sit back a little bit and just listen to people and see what's going on and how you can start to develop and build even your security program that works for the business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Behave podcast. Um, my name is Munyahoto, and I'm the VP of Marketing here at CyberSafe. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Mo Evan. Uh, Mo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Munya. Thank you for having me. Uh, now, Mo, you are what is easily considered one of the foremost experts in the industry, and you've got quite a tenured um, career in this space. So I'm not going to go too much about what you're currently doing, but I'd love for you just to take us on a bit of a journey with our audience and really take us back to you. How did you end up in the industry and what has that journey been like over the past almost 20 years? Um, yeah. um, <laughs> this might be a long, long rant, but uh, interject. But um, firstly, thank you for having me on. Where did I start? So I, I started off back in the days in the in, in the world of help desk and, and desktop support, and I kind of uh, worked my my way through that sort of industry, um, getting involved in security investigations, forensics, those sorts of things, um, and that was actually what piqued my interest in in security, as it was back then, like e-security and digital security used to be called. And then I kind of got into the operational side of things, operational security, did some consultancy did some information security analyst stuff, but all, all the while, the, the kind of the main, I guess, the streak within that was like around the people side of things and humans. Um, and especially when I was working as a desktop support engineer, we, we used to have people on the team, oh, people, users just don't understand, right? And that, that negative sort of thing, in my mind, it was like, well, like, if we don't explain it to them or we, if we don't make things easy, easy for them, it's very difficult for us to then turn around and say, well, it's their fault or they're the weakest links or they're dumb and all that sort of stuff. It's been a very interesting journey. I've been very lucky to kind of uh, work with lots of interesting people, interesting companies. And I guess in the latter sort of in the last maybe five, six, seven years, a bit more, it's predominantly been more along the lines of security culture transformation, getting involved with those sorts of programs, helping to kick stuff off like security champions, security culture surveys, those sorts of things. And I've been working as an independent consultant for a very long time now. So hopefully that gives you a bit of an insight of, of where I came from. No, that is that, that is incredibly helpful, and I think it it does raise more questions at this point. <laughs> so, so I'm going to double click on just a bit of your journey before we go into what you've touched upon, which I suspect is going to be the crux of this conversation mm -hmm. around um, security culture. But before we go there, what have you seen as a change or an evolution of the industry over that time span? How has it evolved, and in particular, can you speak to how it's evolved in terms of the human aspect and your observations there? Yeah, sure. It's, it's a good, really good question because if I cast my memory back, it, it was purely training. It was CBTs, computer-based training. It was getting people in front of a video, watch this, ask a bunch of questions, a quiz, and then that's your training, right? We have come slightly a long way. I, I, you know, I am quite contrary in some of my opinions, and a lot of it is based on like what works and what doesn't work. But I guess the evolution, if you will, is that we've come to realize that we do probably need to firstly measure what we're trying to get people to do and actually understand their point of view. Um, and, and obviously recently we've got the term human risk management. That's maybe over the last year, 18 months, a little bit more, that's kind of come around. I would kind of contest that. I mean, like personally, I'd say we already know what the risks are, right? How do we start addressing them? But there's been a change from like CBTs, just basic training all the way through to like, what do we measure and the discussion around culture and influencing behaviors and now in the human risk management side of things. So there, are, there has been some change, but I'm of the opinion that there probably needs to be a little bit more change and we probably need to start asking some in intro, what's the word, introspective questions. 
I think we're going to have to um, double click on on your kind of contestation around the evolution of human risk management, but we'll get to that in the in the course of the conversation. I do agree with you um, that we've gone certainly from um, um, you know the CBT world to, to 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 where we the context we're operating in today, where the human aspect has become more prominent. And you know we had Lance Spitzner as a guest on on this on this show very early on, arguing that security professionals have been really good at protecting and implementing technology and that the human was forgotten um, in the process of developing systems and processes and technology that actually uh, threat actors have recognized this and they have actually exploited the fact that the human aspect has been neglected. What would you say to that? And and is that, is that kind of along the lines of your thinking as well? I I broadly agree with, with Lance. It is, we we have been, you know, predominantly technology industry, like firewalls, et cetera, plonk stuff into data center or wherever, wherever it lives now in a cloud somewhere. Right. But, Ultimately, when all is said and done, if some, if a criminal can convince somebody to click something, then bad juju is going to happen, right? Bad stuff's going to happen, right? But if somebody is, you know, let's say, tricked into clicking something and your network goes down, that's not the individual's fault. That's an organizational failing. That's, uh, that's a lack of resilience, right? And that is where you need technology to be able to say, well, actually, this has happened. How do we detect and respond really quickly? So there's, there's, there's a balance to it. Um, my opinion nowadays is, well, like, we need to make security as easily as easy as possible for individuals, right? We're practical, right? So minimize the burden um, for individuals because people are busy and, you know, you can't expect everybody at all times to be vigilant, right? And hover over links and, oh, what sort of emotional triggers is, is that email trying to play? You're not going to do it because I've, I've nearly fallen for one of those, right? I, I think probably a lot of us, even in the security industry, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I've never fallen for it, but I'll, I'll Free admit, freely admit that I've, you know, nearly fallen for it. Like, you know, on a Monday morning, really busy, et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, oh, this looks real. And you, you know, you, you either you click on it and you start entering information or you think, oh, hold on a minute. But yeah, I, I agree with Lance, but uh, I think there's a balance um, as with everything. Super helpful, though, and 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 I think you're right. You know, you, you know, the, those are those are not necessarily opposite ends of the spectrum, but you've got to be addressing yeah. and investing in both. Yeah, there's no binary thing, right? It, it, people are analog, we're continuously variable, right? So I know, bind, yeah, we've got technology, and you plug it in, and it usually it works with. But human beings, are, you, know, you might have a different mood on a Friday morning to Friday afternoon, like you do, right? It just happens. But I do think that we can't, perfectly, we shouldn't be blaming people, right? If they fall for something. But also we shouldn't be kind of investing everything in technology and or everything in the people's side of things. It is a balance. But it's, you know, if we're if we're saying that security is everybody's responsibility, the environment that you're in needs to be able to facilitate that responsibility. So there's, there's yeah, it's it's a balance. That's exactly right. And 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 I do agree with you. And you've just said the B word there, blame. So I wanna <laughs> I wanna shift um I wanna shift over to, to to a question that I do have for you. You know, you talk about CBT and the fact that this was occasional or or really re, you know, kind of regimented training once a quarter or you know, every half year, once a year, whatever the case may be. And as a result, it was something that uh, for, through no fault of its own, I imagine, uh, security awareness training in most organizations developed quite a bad reputation. It's just that thing you have to <laughs> yeah. get through. It's not, you know, the, the kind of thing you're describing around security is everybody's responsibility isn't really the relationship that non-security people in organizations have with uh, security awareness training, is it, um, oh, um there, there's, a, there's a, definitely an attitude challenge, um, at least historically, um, with, with, yeah. with, 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 with training. Yeah, I think it's linked to back in the still in some departments where security has seen as the department of no, right? When I when I used to work in kind of the the operations side of things, investigations, I would sometimes ring up 
my colleagues just to say, hi, how are you doing? And they'd ring up and say, oh, well, they're done. Right, you know, when they all sort of, when they all sort of panic, oh, what about them? So no, no, I'm nothing. I'm just having a chat with you. I'm just catching up. But it was sometimes there, there is that perception that if we go to security, they'll always say no, or they won't show us the right way. So there's that trust issue there, right? And that engagement and trusting. So when the whole security awareness uh, discussion starts up and people start looking at that training and say, oh, this doesn't really, this is not engaging. It doesn't really help me. How does this help me in my context? Most people know why they should do it, but until you can say, well, how does this help me in my context, in my everyday workflow, right? Um, it's very difficult then to try and sell that. So if you've got this, also this reputation of the department of no, or your engagement isn't where it should be, and then you're trying to sell this security awareness or whatever, however you wish to term it, um, then you, you might have a slightly difficult um, issue trying to convince people that this is the right thing, right? I know that we, there's a lot of talk around explain the why, um, to people, but I thought I think we should also be looking at ourselves, you know, to say, well, why haven't we got it right, and why are we still saying the right things? Well, I, I you know, I, I love that attitude, um, or indeed that perspective that says there's, there's, you know, there's a responsibility on the security organisation to say where have we kind of really dropped the ball in terms of building rapport and endearing ourselves to colleagues, and and not not kind of carrying that yeah. that that dark um, halo <laughs> or cape that says we are the department yeah, it, of it's, no, it's, it's you know, trust. we're going to accuse you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's trust fundamentally, and in, and trust comes from effective engagement, right? That comes from sometimes you know what you have to you have to sit back a little bit and just listen to people and see what's going on and how you can start to develop and build even your security program that works for the business, right? Yes, you have to take into account risk, etc. But if we're talking about security culture and behavior, I'm of the opinion that you should be looking at building, you know, probably shouldn't even term it security culture or awareness. You should probably term it something along the lines of security user experience. Right. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, let's let's dive into that because sure. you know, this is an area where you are, you know, you know, you're well known for your understanding and expertise here. When you think about security culture, do you, you know, first of all, how do you define that for yourself? You just made some kind of you've alluded to the fact that maybe it should be called something else entirely around user experience. But secondly, what is the intersection between organizational culture and security culture, and um, what do you observe as kind of best practice in terms of how the organizations that are nailing that, how are they managing to build that bridge between? What is what the core business is, and for example, what the security organization's priorities are. I mean, if you put ten people in the room and you ask them to d define organizational culture, it, yeah, you're probably going to get a different answer, right? But fundamentally, for me, it's you know, what are the attitudes, norms, and behaviors that happen in an organization? How do people work? How do they interact? How do they get in touch with the security team? Um, what do they do when nobody's looking? When it comes to security, that sort of stuff, right? But on a more, I guess, a layer down is. How does that organization, what are their goals? What are they looking to do from a business perspective? And how does security kind of fit into that? And I have seen on a number of occasions where when they say we're going to build a security culture, sometimes people don't understand the nuance that in a typically a large organization, you, you've got globally dispersed teams. So therefore, you've already got micro, micro cultures across different teams, across different regions, which then says, well, you've actually got varying security cultures across the business. So your goal isn't, isn't to say we're going to create security culture. Your goal is to understand what sort of security cultures already exist and how can we influence them and modify them to the way that we want people to work, right? How can we make stuff easy for people? What currently happens on the ground? How do we ensure that is it the right thing? Is it the wrong thing? Is it the wrong thing because some of the processes need changing, some policy needs changing, something needs to be made easier? It's that. So my kind of... Uh, mantra is used typically is like, well, you probably need to understand 
what the existing security culture is and how people work. And then you could say, oh, actually, some, there's some good stuff or some bad stuff, right? Let's try and change some of the quote-unquote bad stuff or improve some of the stuff that we've already got. Because typically, there's always something that you can work on, right? There's always something, unless it's a greenfield site and nothing's there, there's always something that you say, well, actually, we can pick that up and we can use it as a catalyst to make stuff better. That's that's roughly where kind of my, my kind of, I guess if I'm bringing my experience, uh, a lot of places where I've seen sometimes you do get people say, we're going to create security culture. And, and the obvious question is, like, well, how do you know what currently exists, right? Because if you don't know your environment, it's very difficult then to try and come and implant something onto it. And therefore you're going to start breaking crust. I can imagine that some of our subscribers, our listeners on this show are saying to themselves, look, I'm in a global organization. I've got multiple geographies. I've got multiple languages. I've got, you know, a context of social norms that span across uh, east to west. And you're telling me that I'm going to need to figure out how to understand those kind of individual contexts and try and improve them. And I'm barely able to implement a, my cookie cutter <laughs> <laughs> approach uh, <laughs> to just get us, you know, from zero to one. Uh, you know, that feels daunting and, 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 and challenging. And especially if you put it against the harsh backdrop of resources and team sizes, how, what do you say to somebody that's got that kind of constraint? No, the answer is it is hard. It is daunting, but the way that you begin with it is small. You don't, you don't challenge the whole kind of organization. You take one environment that's local to you and you do some testing with that. You say, right, can we run some sort of a simple survey? Can we actually speak to people on the ground to, to, to ask them how does security affect them on a daily basis, right? Um, and then if you, as you mature, my advice is look to build a security champions or advocates network, right? Um, because fundamentally, they're the individuals that will help you to scale your ideas. It doesn't, you know, if, if you, if it's a large organization, and, uh, you know, with a geographic uh, spread, uh, you could have a pretty big team and still not hit all the bits that you want, right? Because you can't, you can't scale your team. But if you've got people that are advocates or champions or however you have an organization which is to determine it, they're your individuals on the ground who can kind of provide you feedback and you can push stuff down to them and they can kind of um, scale it for you. It is hard work. It's not easy. But a lot of the issues around security awareness and culture and um, this topic is sometimes people will try to run before they can walk. And typically it's like, well, we've probably got some stuff we could already use. We've probably already got some people who are interested in being champions. Why don't we have those simple conversations with people um, and then start to kind of ramp it up when we see some success? Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I like that. And I think, you know, for our audience, you know, starting locally or small, I think is, is really, really sound and practical advice because there is a temptation here to, to boil the ocean, you know, because the threat is so ubiquitous. Yeah, I, I'd add, I mean, if you're in a, you know, a regulatory environment or, or, or similar, there will be some sort of mandate that you must have, you must have a security awareness program. So if it's PCI or whatever else. So then your, your logic and you would be looking to tick those boxes, shall we say, right? And compliance gets a bad name sometimes. But if, you, if you're a pragmatist, I, I try and put myself in that side of things. You know, compliance can be the catalyst for everything that you do, right? Personally, if I was a CSA, I wouldn't just stop at, you know, all right, we've ticked the boxes. You'd say, okay, well, that's the basics. That's the foundational stuff that we need to do. It's mandatory. It's, it's a legal requirement. It's a business requirement. It's a, re a registry requirement. What do we need to do now to actually, let's see if we can influence some behaviors or let's see if we can actually help people and make security easy because it's, it's very easy to, you know, say that security is everybody's responsibility, but you need to actually understand, okay, well, how do we 
facilitate that responsibility? How do we make sure that what we're saying, people can actually do? So for example, if you're saying to people, use a password manager, but you don't explain what it is, and worse still, if you don't have a corporate password manager and people know what it is and how to use it, you've just now told somebody to do something, but not given them a mechanism to do it. Well, you're touching on something here, which I know you you definitely have a, a strong opinion on, but is a genuine blocker for effective security programs, which is this idea of burden and friction. The reality is in most organizations, every, you know, a lot of the people that are there are not there to do security. No. Um, they, they, they're there to, to do banking or trading or lawyering or engineering or, or some, other, some other thing that they actually feel is the core um, of what they're doing. And as a result, when you introduce, you know, these compliance-driven initiatives, you know, do this, do that, um, it can often feel like a burden. It can often introduce friction into their day. What are you seeing or what are you advising uh, some of the organizations you work with in terms of best practice or how to really not end up in that ditch where there is this burden and friction that's actually meaning that while you might have the systems in place and even the, 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 the content in place, mm. the engagement and the attitude towards that stuff um, is, is, is actually not, not, not going very well. It's a failure to communicate sometimes, right? It's a failure for all of effective communication. So typically, if you are launching a program of any sort, whether it's around a compliance or whether it's around a new awareness program or whatever it is, you need to do the work before the work, right? So the work being, we're gonna launch X, Y, and Z, right? But you need to do all the engagement before. So, uh, you know, engage your Intel comms and marketing team to have a narrative around what's coming up or what it's, what it's gonna look like. And typically, if you do that, you, you, you get a lot more better traction than just plonking something on, on people and expecting them to get it and understand because people say, oh, what's this? I don't, I've never seen this before because it will add burden to their day, right? I mean, just, just think we've been, we've been in a pandemic, right? The last few years has just been left, right, center. We're still in it in some sense, just because we're not wearing masks and, you know, all, all the kind of the mandates have gone, you know, COVID still exists in some sense, right? It's just evolved. So if we take a step back and say, well, Look, if we're being compassionate to our staff, we should probably start looking at well, our, our security program. In essence, where, where, where is the burden? Where is the friction? And, and to do that, it, the simple thing is like, you need to communicate to the individuals in your business and say, how does security affect you? Where does it add friction? And you're absolutely right, because you're now touching on something that I think is, is again, a difficult, a difficult, difficult uh, challenge for security professionals, at least that I speak to, which is the yeah. fact that they feel like they're stuck in the frozen middle of the organization where they're a necessary evil, right? They, the, the, the security program isn't tied to a strategic initiative or directly linked to strategic outcomes or productivity. And as a result, they can't get time with the internal comms team. They can't get attention and resource from the marketing team because they've actually not managed to position themselves in such a way that leadership really believes that this is core to strategy, core to outcomes, and 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 and, and as a result, they, they don't get the support. What are you seeing, and how do how do how do you, how do we help security professionals, particularly in that middle uh, layer of the organisation, to elevate their language and their posture to actually be able to get strategic input, guidance, support, budget, in in fact, at times. Yeah, I mean, it depends on where you are, what the size of the organisation is, but it, that that word you just said, positioning. Is, is a key word because what you what you don't want to do is misalign what you're trying to do with, with the, 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 the strategy, the security strategy, right? And the security strategy can't be misaligned with what the board wants, right? But I personally, I think this is this is down partly to the to whoever's heading up the security division, like CISO or, or equivalent, because they own it at the end of the day, and they should be the catalyst to, to, to the rest of the work. But I think it is a case 
I think we've got we've got a slight issue in in the industry in that sometimes you you can you can get you can put a negative head on things, right? But if you're if you're if you're being pragmatic, you can't win. You're not going to win all the battles, right? But I think if you position it in the sense that look, if we are if you're fundamentally talking about we want to create a security culture and change behavior or affect behavior, then you need to walk the walk, right? Otherwise, it's just rhetoric. So in a CISO strategy, there should be, you, you typically have like an architecture and engineering type tower, you have a GRC type tower, you know, maybe have a consultancy type tower, you know, and I have seen where CISO has, have added like engagement, cultural engagement, security awareness type towers, or it usually, it can sometimes sit in GRC, all right? But other places, I have seen places where it's been separated. That's a strategic approach. So, you know, you're, you're placing it on its own and it, ha- it should have the resources with it, right? So whether it's one or two people, you should be given the budget to be able to create a security strategy yourself and a security culture strategy or whatever you want to turn it. And it links into the wider strategy. It doesn't kind of just sit on its own. Well, that's super helpful. And, I'm, and, and I know that that's going to be, a, you know, a gem to, to some of our listeners. You started by talking about the fact that, you know, we've moved from CBT, which, you know, many people believe is the days of compliance as a strategy. And we've now moved to this space of human risk management, human risk quantification. And, and, and within that kind of leap, there is, there is a skills gap there. There is a challenge around um, knowledge capability. Um, are there enough people to deploy to help organizations move from compliance as a strategy to human risk quantification and management? And then while we're thinking about that, I hear the analysts, you know, the foresters and the gardeners of this world are not talking about something even further down the line in terms of adaptive human protection. I'd like to know what that means. I'd like to know what that means. <laughs> which, 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 which goes beyond um, human risk quantification and human risk management. I guess my question is, is what kind of people should should be should be should be taking up these roles? Do we have the, the the talent in the industry today? And if you're somebody that's sitting there thinking, you know what, I I've I've cut my my teeth in compliance as a strategy, and I I'm almost starting to feel irrelevant as all of this quantification and data and dashboards start to come into play. How do I remain relevant to my organization, and 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 how can I ensure that uh, we are employing some of these new techniques and not actually getting left behind? Um, firstly, nobody's irrelevant. Right, um, and if anybody's thinking thinking that, uh, stop it. Um, um, <laughs> because look, uh, if you're in this field, the number one thing in in security, let alone this specific topic, is you should always be looking to learn. Right, you should always be adapting, evolving. Um, and if you're looking maybe to transition into this area, it's not. There's no magic here, right? There's no magic here. There's no hidden things that you might need to learn. It it, it is fundamentally about communication and engagement. You can go a long way not having any certs and, and with a little bit of experience, um, even if you're in GRC or, or any other kind of topic within security, even out of it. I know individuals who've directly come from outside of security and are, and are running, right? It's not, it's not magic. But to flesh that out a bit, I think there is, when we touch on skill shortages and talent shortages, there's plenty of talent out there. Uh, my, my, my personal perspective is that organizations probably need to like start uh, changing some of the ways of their, their own policies and how they recruit and the people and the individuals that they look for because the skills and, and, and talents out there and spread the pool, right? Because you don't necessarily have to be somebody in security to come in and, and do this work, right? You can come in from the teaching side of things, psychology side, pretty much anything, right? So as long as somebody's got the aptitude and they're willing to learn and there's the structure internally to be able to support them, I don't really see an issue to, to for somebody outside of the field to come in and, and pick up the skills and run. Um, yes, you'll need some support from maybe some of your technical colleagues to be able to kind of bolster in some of the knowledge, 
but it doesn't take smart people that long to kind of pick stuff up. I absolutely love that, Mo, and you're absolutely right. I um I had a guest on the podcast actually who said one of their you know high performing colleagues is somebody that actually made a career shift during the COVID pandemic to go from teaching in primary school to being yeah. a security analyst, and they are incredibly effective at getting things done, articulating clear vision, communicating internally, and really really getting people to get it. So I think that's really encouraging to 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 to, to our audience uh, and and our listeners. I'll give you a final question. And I know you're being very generous with your time. Here's my wild card question for you, Mo. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the advent and the proliferation of AI, uh, what do you postulate, think are the implications um, for, for the industry uh, as AI becomes more ubiquitous and indeed more entrenched? Um, and you can pick any aspect of security in particular culture, I would say, or training. Uh, how do you think this changes the game um, from, an, from, from a security perspective? This is a wild card question. Um, there's a lot of, uh, what's the word, blue, right? There's a lot of like, you know, the best things since sliced bread and, and the rest of it. Uh, my personal take is like, I like to see how things pan out sometimes, right? And, and not jump on that. But where, what I will say, it, it, rather than artificial intelligence, I, I'll call it assisted intelligence. So it assists your intelligence, right? So you can use some of the tools that are coming out to say, how do you potentially um, automate some, some processes? How do we kind of make stuff easier? Well, so when I was talking about burden and friction, there is, I think the scope for AI and automation tools to be able to say, oh, we could probably, you know, where, where somebody sits, maybe half a day doing something, you can use tech and AI, whatever you want to call it, to be able to say, we can automate some of that. I think it will have quite an effect, but I don't think it will have the effect that we think it will yet, if that makes sense. I think it'll be a, a little while longer, as in this, sort of magic thing. I think it will help some of the basic things that we do to speed up, speed up some of the work we do. So for example, if you're, if you're having trouble trying to think of a, a good template for phishing, right? I'm pretty sure you can kind of pop a prompt into one of the many Bard or ChatGPT or whatever, and give it a decent prompt and it will give you a fairly, fairly good uh, template, right? Obviously you'd have to validate it because, you know, this whole bot hallucination and everything, right? Where it looks real, it, it, you read through that actually this is made up, right? Well, it gives you references and you probably should check them. So that's where I'm saying assisted intelligence. So you use your own intelligence to say, all right, actually, this looks good. Let's see if it is actually valuable and we can use that. So I think it will kind of help out in those sorts of areas. But also if we're looking at security tooling that provides output, I reckon there will be some uh, way of taking the output and automating a lot more of it and using some AI magic, shall we say, to be able to give you further kind of inference on that. But I'm particularly discerning when it comes to this sort of stuff, not kind of um, against it. I'm like, let's just do some analysis and synthesis before you run into things, right? Mo, you've been an amazing guest and thank you for that. It's the first time I've heard of bot hallucination. Yeah, have a good that's, that's, that's part of this. To my, to my audience, my guest today has been uh, Mo Amin. He is independent leading consultant in the security awareness space. An absolute treasure of an episode. Loads of practical tips there um, that can help you to actually influence and shape security culture in your organization. Mo, thank you ever so much. And hopefully we'll have you back again on the show any sometime soon. Thank you very much, Winnie. Nice to be on. Thank you.